0: Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. This episode is all about ice cream, as we get the scoop on two very different styles of dessert deliciousness in the neighborhood, one from a longtime favorite business and the other from a new endeavor that's taking off. But before we get cooking with all that, I just want to say thanks for being here. I truly appreciate the support and feedback I've been getting from listeners, and I'd love to hear from more of you. Get in touch through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle on all three platforms is always podcast. You can also leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, along with hitting that subscribe button. Super helpful things you can do to help us build our audience into a community. When word first got out that the singular sensation known as moto would be opening in the junction, some people were skeptical at first. Another pizza place in West Seattle, an area with plenty of pies to choose from. But before you could say overnight sensation, Modo's square-shaped Detroit-style pizza was the talk of the town, with attention-grabbing flavors and unique toppings ranging from in-house harvested honey and pickled walnuts to locally foraged sea beans and Dungeness crab. Modo's pizza became such a hot item that the waiting period to order one quickly grew to a month and then some. But while it may take you a while to reach this sought-after state of pizza nirvana, there's another unique treat being created at Modo that's a lot easier to get your hands on. For a tastemaker deep dive on this unique dessert, we talked with Modo co-owner Lee Kindle. So we already know about all the incredible pizza that is being produced here in this magical house on 42nd Street, but there's something else happening here, which is ice cream. Was ice cream always part of the plan with Moto Pizza?
1: Yeah, it was, Keith. Uh, First off, thanks for having me on the podcast. This is exciting. I love things like this and experiments like this. It's really fun. Um, Yes, ice cream was always part of the plan. I just felt like this was going to be a combination experience. And my expression of food through pizza, um, when I came up with the soft serve idea, I wanted to have that same expression that I could do. And uh, that led me to the crazy moto cones that I do.
0: Yeah, let's talk about those cones. So those cones
1: come from a recipe from uh, 1782 out of Transylvania, and they are traditionally called a kratos kolach. Um, I pronounce that very well because I practiced it so many times on Google. Um, but uh, it's translated to a chimney cake. So they roast it traditionally over a coal fire. And they're on the cylinder and they pull it off the cylinder. And they coat it with either a cream or a chocolate. And then they serve it just hollow like that. So my first iteration of a cone was just a square almost like a box with an open top that I would put my ice cream in. But it was so difficult to do. So as I kind of scoured the Internet, um, I found this uh, chimney cake. And I'm like, that would be really cool. But my first thought was like a donut. And my second thought was like a croissant, kind of similar to the cronut out of New York. And, you know, it just was so much extra work to do that. And when I came across the chimney cake or the kurtos kolakch, I was like, that's it. And I was also inspired by Voodoo Donuts, one of my favorite places in the Northwest. And so I put all of these crazy toppings on top of it. So I'll dip it in chocolate or caramel or raspberry and then put from Fruity Pebbles to Oreo cookies and everything I can think of on there. And I'm just getting started.
0: And so this was just a result of you researching and trying to find the perfect thing that works for you. We wouldn't necessarily find these cones in Detroit next to your pizza there. No, it's definitely not
1: a Detroit thing. It's a, it's a, it is a Eastern Europe, and I, it's pretty rare to find it here in the States, um, but it's a very simple dough recipe, um, and yeah, I just found it to be really unique, and the response from both kids and adults alike is pretty phenomenal. It's like when they look at the case of cones, they look like little kids in a candy store
0: again. And you make those every day?
1: I make them fresh every day because just like a donut or any other dough, the second day, it's not even worth keeping. So I, you know, if I have any left, which is really rare, I'll uh, I'll toss it. But um, I make them fresh every
0: morning. About how many do you make every day?
1: Between 30 and 40. So they, and they go pretty fast. I need to start making more, but we're we're kind of just watching our production right now. And, you know, people are just starting to find out about us with the ice cream thing, but very i already see it starting to climb we basically are selling out every day so i did de- i definitely have to kick up that number i could probably easily double it right now but uh we want to kind of take it slow
0: so let's talk about what goes inside those magical amazing cones it's a very special kind of soft serve
1: yes it is it's a um, it, it's a soft serve that's old school meaning uh these days a lot of the soft serve they they make it more fat free, I guess is what you can say. Mine's a heavy fat to it. You know? um, I think the ranges go from, I'm kind of getting geeky on you here with ice cream, but it. the ranges go from like a low 3% to the high 6%. You know? And I'm about at a 4.5% in fat. So you get this beautiful creaminess to it and mouthfeel that I think is absolutely
0: adorable. And uh, this is a real true dairy old school. And what are some of the flavors that rotate throughout this machine of yours?
1: So this is something that's really fun. And I told you this story when we first met, but I'll I'll say it for all the listeners out there is uh, about 20 years ago, I used to take my daughter to New England to uh, visit family. And there's this little ice cream shop that we absolutely fell in love with every summer, lying out the door. And I just love this ice cream. It was really beautiful. And I had to do a little bit of research on it. And then when I opened this place, I'm like, I need to have that machine. And this is that machine that I have. But it's not just one machine. It's actually two machines that are made by two different companies. And so they're kind of jerry-rigged to fit together. And the flavor burst actually adds the flavors to the vanilla ice cream. So I have eight rotating flavors and it literally injects the flavor in. And these are very kind of fun traditional flavors uh, like butter uh, pecan and chocolate and strawberry with a couple other really fun ones like pina colada or our famous blue goo. Um so it does inject these really beautiful flavors in it but they're not overwhelming and I think that's why people really love them cuz it's got a, a kind of a lighter flavor to it.
0: And so this this jerry rigged machinery that you have here is this the way that you saw it and experienced the ice cream or is this something that you also created yourself?
1: No no that that credit goes to the companies that made both the Taylor which is what all Dairy Queens use and McDonald's so it's kind of that classic old school um, flavor. And, uh, um, but this other one is a company that made it to kind of go with these machines, but it's universal. So like anything that's universal, quote unquote, never fits really well. So I'm constantly having to jerry rig it and, you know, hold it together with band aid and bubble gum, but, uh, um, they work well together and it creates a great product.
0: And where do the flavors come from?
1: They come from a company called Flavor Burst, and they make these um, flavors kind of like you know. There's Jelly Bellies, and then there's fake Jelly Bellies, and the fake Jelly Bellies just don't ever have that same delicious flavor. This is the same thing. The way this company makes it, They're, these flavors are just legit. They 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 taste like they come from another time and era, and it's kind of that old school flavor. And uh, so, and this company's been around for a while, so. Um, yeah, the, the flavors are pretty unique, and I would say high sugar content to them. But, you know, hey, if you're going for my cones and for ice cream, a little extra sugar is not going to hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is not uh, a diet night that you come into Moto Pizza.
1: <laughs> no, you, you better ready to be ready to put down the calories. <laughs>
0: Do you rotate the flavors much, or is it always the same ones?
1: Uh, Right now, it's the same ones. It's the same thing with my pizza. I don't want to get a big rotation in. I want everybody to kind of get what I'm doing. And then I'll kind of slowly rotate in. So maybe next season, I'll bring in some new flavors. But there are some big winners out, you know, some heavy hitters that people would be mad if I changed
0: that up. Like which ones?
1: Uh, The butter pecan, the chocolate, the strawberry, the black cherry, um... Yeah, the blue goo. (laughs) So I probably won't change those, but I might rotate a couple of them.
0: Do you have a personal favorite?
1: Oh, yeah. The butter pecan that has this like really beautiful kind of sweet and savory. And that's something I love, the mix of different flavors and textures like that.
0: And the ice cream is something that people don't have to order a month or two ahead. They can just come in and get it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're open to the ice cream every day. Um, we never run out of ice cream. We always have plenty of it. My cones do run out, but I do have cups and I have um, waffle cones as a substitute in case we do run out and somebody wants a cone. Awesome. Yeah, come on down and get some happy and some joy and share love, hope, and pizza and ice
0: cream. Moto is open Wednesday through Saturday from 4 to 9 p.m., and they'll be closing temporarily in October to make some exciting upgrades. For more information, visit motoseattle.com. When it comes to ice cream, there's a mainstay in the Junction that has a devoted following across multiple generations. We're talking, of course, about Husky Deli, established in 1932 and one of West Seattle's oldest and most beloved icons. A big part of Husky's appeal lies in their inherent mastery of the classics. The feel-good flavor essentials like vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and rocky road. But with well over 40 flavors, Husky isn't afraid to mix things up to the point that they'll even let an outsider create a new flavor of their very own. To learn more about how this all works, we talked with the latest flavor creators to be welcomed into the Husky ice cream making process, Marcy Johnson and Joey Richeson. How did you secure the honor of creating your own ice cream flavor at Husky Deli?
2: The Southwest Seattle Historical Society has had an annual fundraising gala for many years. And I think for the last five or six years, Husky Deli has donated the opportunity to create an ice cream flavor. And it's been very uh, popular and successful. And last year, what was that? 2020, I kept bidding a little bit and actually won (laughs) one of the bids. Yeah, it was exciting.
0: Was it something that you had bid on before?
2: No, actually not, because the bid would get so high. And I just thought, you know, other people, you know, deserve a chance to uh, get this lovely treat.
0: So you won. And after you won the prize to create your own flavor, what was the thought process in brainstorming (laughs) what you wanted to do for your own ice cream flavor? It
3: didn't take a lot of brainstorming, actually, because we've just combined... Our two favorite flavors, which is uh, coffee ice cream, only we went for espresso, and chocolate, chocolate swirls. And um, we decided we wanted whole hazelnuts in it. So that's what we suggested to Jack.
0: And he was on board with that from the get-go?
3: He decided to toast the hazelnuts rather than put them in raw or whatever he would have done. But otherwise, he um, walked us through everything and we got to taste. As the flavor is
0: developed. <laughs> and so you were part of the actual creation process of putting it all together?
2: We set up a time for us to go to the store and literally learn about the process of making ice cream, how they've done it all these years, and step by step, how ice cream is made. So it was a a collaborative effort and it was really fun. And Husky, in our
3: opinion and many other opinions, Husky makes the best ice cream in the city of Seattle. So to be able to watch how it's made and to participate in that was really an honor.
0: And I think one of you might have mentioned to me at the release party for your flavor that that some of the flavors, the elements that you picked for it may be related to your travels or things that you love from your past. Can you talk about that at all?
3: I may have told you about when I was, and and we lived in North Admiral. Every Saturday, my mom went grocery shopping and we always, our last stop was Husky to pick up a gallon of vanilla for my father and then a half gallon of
2: mocha for my mom. I've been a coffee drinker since I was a young kid camping in the forest with my family. And I'm also a chocoholic. So it just fit together well.
3: We were in Italy a few years ago and made it our business to taste test gelato everywhere we went, and the Nutella flavors that we tested were very good. So, and that's
0: hazelnut. Yeah, that's hazelnut. I think that's the story that I was thinking of, the, the Italy connection. In addition to this honor of of getting to create this flavor, you got to have an ice cream party with a bunch of your friends. What was that like?
2: It was just super fun. The store was closed, so we had the place to ourselves. That was part of the package that we bid on, not only creating the flavor, but having that ice cream social. And Jack Miller of Husky is just a gem of a person, him and his family, really. What a blessing and a grace to have someone like him in our community that is just so giving, really.
3: Jack and his family have always been enormous supporters of the historical society and really appreciate him for that.
0: Tell me more about your involvement with the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. How long has this been going on?
2: Since 1996. We lived in Ballard. But my home and where I grew up was here on Elkai. And a friend who I knew from grade school called and said, oh my God, the house is going to be a museum. The house she was referring to is the house I grew up in, which is now the Log House Museum. Wow. Yeah. So my parents bought that house in 1959. And we lived there until 1973. And many other families also lived there. From the time it was converted from the carriage house to a home in, I think, 1907, 1908, until the last owner wanted to make sure it wasn't demolished. He called the Historical Society, I think, in 93 or 94 and said, I want to sell, but I don't want to see this demolished. So that's how the Historical Society got involved and they just moved very quickly to uh, acquire the property and do all of the work of getting it landmarked and then raising the money then to convert it to a museum. So meanwhile, my friend from grade school Said, we got to get involved. This is going to be cool. So we did. And Joey and my two sisters, my elder and younger sister, and I were at the blessing in 1996, uh, where the Duwamish came and did a, a blessing of the site. And I think the following year, when it opened, pretty close to that, we both started volunteering. Joey would volunteer in the gift shop, and I volunteered as a docent inside the museum. So we did that about every Sunday. And then eventually I was asked to become a board member maybe a year or so later. And then later Joey joined the board. And, you know, it's just been an ongoing relationship. It was kind of a weird
3: experience at first because I've known Marcy since she was 13 and I was 14. So I remember going to her house when we were kids and visiting, having parties and stuff. And I would say for the first year after the museum opened, it just (laughs) felt strange. It felt strange. It's like, where are these people in your house? But of course, that went away over time.
0: What are uh, some of your memories of being at the house back when? Marcy used to live there and you used to visit. That I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets of the log house.
3: Yeah, I I just remember when I first met, it was like, oh, you live in the log house. That was pretty cool. And it was a very comfortable place to visit. Had a couple of overnights and we rolled back the carpet, the rug, and it revealed a dance floor. That was really pretty darn good. So. Mostly I remember having nice parties there.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, also I have to say there are cubby holes upstairs. Mm-hmm. Most people maybe know that. But when I was uh, 14, I no longer lived in West Seattle, but I decided to run away. And my plan was to live in one of the cubby holes in her house.
0: <laughs> that didn't work out yeah, I think of a cubby hole as something like the size of a bread box, but I guess these are significant cubby holes.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, the one in the main workroom, which was the master bedroom or, or parents' room, it actually runs across two of the sides of the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. So go in one end, go to a corner turn, and come out on another end. Wow! They were fun. My one of my memories of the cubby holes was I would hide in there with a a friend and my younger sister we didn't want to have our younger sister you know hanging out with us but she liked to play the butler (laughs) we'd send her down to the kitchen to get us drinks or something
0: (laughs) it sounds like a good place to hide when you've got a bowl of your favorite ice cream and you don't want your annoying sister to eat any of it
2: (laughs) oh yeah that could be true yeah (laughs) uh-huh yeah
0: why do you think places like the Log House Museum, your former home, and organizations like the Historical Society are important in a community?
2: I think we like to know where we came from, where we've been, the not just milestones and events, but places. And some places are just more dear to our hearts than others, and the fact that Fur Lodge is still there as well and reinvented as a new restaurant and then the Carriage House became this museum, it reminds us of our history. And when you know the stories of who lived there, how it was built, how it stood the test of time, I think it just really enriches our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it helps us shape a future that is more permanent. And I I think in, in the words of more Native folks to the area, the Duwamish, they're big storytellers. So those stories are important because they live within us. And yet if we can see them, you connect with that too.
0: I totally agree. Thank you for sharing your stories with me today. One last question. How many times have you been up to Husky since your ice cream flavor was released?
3: Three. I believe three, and Jack is making more. If you want to go get some, you have to ask for Jack. To say you want Joey and
0: Martin's ice cream. <laughs> it's like a secret club from the people who brought you the log house museum cubby holes comes the new <laughs> se- secret ice cream flavor. <laughs> <laughs> we did ask Jack Miller, the third generation owner of Husky Deli, about what went into creating this new flavor known as Joey's Nutty Espresso. So we put some fancy espresso, and quite a bit, and then we put um, hazelnuts that we toasted. Some of them we threw in the machine to cut them all up, kind of blend them in the, into the ice cream, and then whole ones we threw in, and the chocolate swirl, while we were pulling it out of the machine. It's amazing. You spared no detail or expense? No details. No steels were spared. <laughs> it was fun, actually. Do you ever get nervous when an opportunity like this to create a flavor comes up? No, I think it's fun. You know, it, it, sometimes they don't turn out like they're kind of an odd flavor. And I know right away it's, whether it's going to be good or not. But this one, right away, I knew it was going to be good. What were some flavors in the past that maybe didn't work out so well? Um, a little girl was allowed to do it. And it was um, cotton candy ice cream that was supposed to be black. Whoa. It was horrible. But, but this one is awesome. This is a keeper. First reactions to the new flavor were all smiles, as we heard from people at the launch party, including Southwest Seattle Historical Society's president of the board, Kathy Blackwell.
2: The new flavor is awesome. I would order that anytime you bring me in here. It was one of my favorites. I loved it. And Jack Miller is the best for doing this. It's such an awesome auction item. The Historical Society is really grateful to him.
0: And Historical Society board member Mike Shaughnessy couldn't get enough of the stuff. I thought the ice cream was fantastic. It was so good, I had two ice cream cones. You were actually kind of wearing it when I first walked in. Yeah, so I, I like to say I dropped my first ice cream cone, but I did catch it and ate it. And then you went back for more. And then I went back for more. If you've ever dreamed of creating your own husky ice cream flavor, you're in luck. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity will be offered again in the Southwest Seattle Historical Society's virtual gala and auction. For more information, visit loghousemuseum.org. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.